This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 157. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and today I'm also joined by Jacob Paulson. Why, thank you for that introduction, Riley. I'm so glad to be here on the show with you today. Thanks for having me. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, all right. We're, we have Jacob with us, and he, he feels like uh, being a smart aleck today, but... Uh, Thanks for joining us for yet another episode of the Concealed Carry Podcast, folks. Today is our usual Monday news story episode. And today's episode is brought to you by Ice Training. We recently secured a special deal together with Rob Pincus from Ice Training and the Personal Defense Network. Rob would like to give you a free copy of his best 100-round practice session DVD. To my knowledge, Rob has never given away one of these DVDs like this. All you have to do is pay the shipping. Have you ever wondered about what to do and practice when all you have is one hour and two boxes of ammunition? This DVD will walk you through dozens of excellent drills and scenarios to keep you sharp and at the top of your game with limited range time and resources. So go pick it up. The best 100-round practice session DVD, free. Just pay shipping. Get it at concealedcarry.com forward slash best 100. That is B-E-S-T-1-0-0. Concealedcarry.com best forward, forward slash best 100. I hope you'll check it out. Jacob, have you ever wondered what to do with one hour and two boxes of ammo? I um, No. But... That said, I do think that I'm all for conserve, you know, conserving energy and resources and getting the most out of it as I can. So I'm a raving fan. Heck yeah. Sounds good. Uh, it's a great DVD. Anyway, today being Monday and all, uh, we typically try to feature a training tip. And so today the training tip is pocket mag carry reloads. Yeah. So... Basically, the idea is, for those of you that are carrying spare mags, if you are not carrying in a separate mag pouch or mag carrier somewhere on your belt or uh, in some other fashion that presents those magazines for quick and easy access, uh, or maybe you just never have carried a spare mag before, and that's that's you know that's okay. Uh, we would certainly maybe encourage you to consider the idea. I think it's not a bad idea to have a spare mag or two on your person. Uh, today I'm carrying my Glock 43 concealed. I've got two spare mags when I'm carrying this single stack limited capacity weapon. Um, and I generally use a mag carrier of some sort. However, there have been a few times where a mag just gets tossed in a pocket because I don't have a, a pouch for it available or just because of how I'm dressed, it just doesn't work. So I just was thinking, Jacob, and, and I'm curious to get your thoughts too, but I, I think it's a good idea to practice reloading magazines, having to fish them out of a pocket. It's less than ideal, and it definitely slows you down, but I think it's a good idea to practice. You know, it's funny because a lot of times when we start to discuss, well, you should practice practice XYZ, the greatest value to doing that just once is actually running into all those little things that you never would have thought of. I mean, certainly, don't get me wrong, there's great value to, to practicing something repeatedly over time to really create a good skill out of it. But if you've never practiced anything at least once, 
you don't even know what all the barriers are that, that exist that ultimately are probably easy to solve if you just knew they were there. So for example, you might quickly discover the first time you start practicing a reload out of a pocket that that pocket really is bad. It makes it difficult to retrieve or it's, there's other things in that pocket or whatever it might be. And you know, you might, after having tried it, say, you know what, screw that. I'm going to start putting my mag in this pocket instead. So I guess I know that this is very generic and not specific to this training tip, but it was, I was thinking about this, that the, probably the biggest value to training some of these things is just in that first time you do it, you quickly uh, establish what doesn't work. And you can make some easy adjustments that will actually make the thing more functional. And then you can start working on the skill itself. Yeah, well, typical of Jacob Paulson, a very uh, <laughs> analytical, outside-the-box uh, answer to a simple question. Oh, sorry. So, uh, simple question. Um, Yes, we should definitely train reloads from a pocket. I think that's a great idea. (laughs) No, that was awesome. Because I I think what you said was true. Um, You know, yeah, when you try this for the first time, if you've never tried it, uh, you probably will fumble and find out, hey, this is a little more awkward than I've thought. Uh, Especially if you try it with a little bit of stress. Uh, so I would encourage you to, to practice this and, and try this again and again. You know, t- do it at three or five yards, something reasonably close, typical self-defense distances. Hopefully, hopefully we're not having to reload under such close uh, fighting conditions. But if you have to, you're going to want to have to do that pretty quickly. And mag, mag carry in the pocket is not the greatest idea because that magazine... You, you don't always know exactly how it's going to be oriented or how it's going to come out of the pocket or what you're going to find when you dig in that pocket. And you're just not going to get as good of indexing on that magazine as you typically otherwise would. So you're going to have to get used to finding it, securing it, getting good index on it, maybe having to shift the, the grip, the hand on it a little bit, bringing it to the gun. Uh, but do it at three or five yards, shoot some number of rounds, drop a mag, Grab the mag that's in your pocket, reload, continue on, and repeat that. And I, I think you're going to find that it's a very useful thing to practice. Um, well, I was, and I was just thinking, too, we, we now are selling the uh, snag mags on our site. We saw them in Wisconsin. Very impressed with that product. And so we're now dealers, and we sell the snag mag. So if you are the type to carry just a mag loose in a pocket, you might check out the snag mag. And that was the other thing I was going to mention, so I'm glad you did. Uh, that is a really great point because the snag mag still allows one to simply use a pocket to carry a spare mag, but it keeps it oriented correctly and allows you to retrieve it very quickly and efficiently. So uh, snag consistently mag the same way. is a, yes, a snag mag is a, is a great product. I'll, we'll be sure to put the link to that product in our store in the show notes. So go check it out. Today's episode is also brought to you by Andrew Branca's The Law of Self-Defense and Sports of Field. So we hope that you'll check those sponsors out as well as they make it possible and you, our listeners, make it possible to continue producing the Concealed Carry Podcast. And so with that, let's turn now to our first news story. And this one comes from the Firearm Blog. And uh, I actually saw this story a few days ago, last late last week. Uh, might have been Friday. And <laughs> this is quite a story, I think, Jacob. Uh, I actually saw the link. I went to the link when it was still live. And this was a link 
a page on Amazon.com where it was being advertised that you could buy a full auto Glock sear conversion, quote unquote, for an airsoft pistol. But when you look at the product, and there's a photo here in the news story on the firearm blog, it looks exactly like these, you know, these rear, um, uh, what, what the, uh, the plate on the back. And I'm in a Glock armor too. You're going to go the slide cover plate. That's what it is. <laughs> you're going to be in an armor's course tomorrow, Jacob, and, and you're going to find out all the correct terminology. So, you know, folks have seen these full auto conversions where you replace the slide cover plate and you drop this in there and a, you push the button one way and it's semi-auto and you push the button the other way and it's full auto. And so on Amazon was listed supposedly for airsoft guns, one of these conversion kits. And, but the thing is, there's not any airsoft guns out there that anyone that, that I could find or that anybody else that had commented on the story or, in, you know, in any of the research I did, there's not any airsoft guns that this thing actually fits. It was like, it was a veiled description, you know, like code for this is actually a full auto Glock conversion item, but we're marketing as airsoft. So we fly under the radar. <laughs> tricky, and tricky. folks were i mean they were and they were listed for like 68 bucks or something like that and folks were buying them and uh so th- the story goes and i completely agree with this by the way that this may have been some sort of sting operation in cahoots with amazon by the atf trying to bust some folks and uh the way it seems that the sale the seller of this uh account they had zero reviews, zero past history of any other products sold uh, or purchased by customers. I mean, it, it was a ghost account, basically, brand new setup. They sell one item, a controversial item that definitely has legal repercussions. And very soon after this went live, it was taken down. Uh, and basically, they were trolled by a number of customers saying, do not buy. This is, this is the ATF looking to get you. And whether it was or wasn't, the more important takeaway is that's illegal. You can't buy that. <laughs> so don't <laughs> I know, buy right? It. Yeah. I mean, not to say that a person can't, you know, there isn't a legal method by which one can own such a thing, but, you know, buying it online, having it shipped to your door is not the legal method. <laughs> well, I mean, you have, to have, you have to be an FFL and you have to have an SOT. Yes. To, to legally own or produce one of these. Yeah. And, <laughs> uh, okay, so maybe it wasn't the ATF, Jacob, but uh, I, I really think it was, I, I just, I do not buy uh, that this was just some dude that thought he was going to try to sell some of these. I mean, first of all, it was listed for 68 bucks, uh, which that's kind of interesting. But, you know, I, I know that there's some people that probably bought them with the hopes they would get them, and they're thinking they're not breaking any laws knowingly because they're actually buying an airsoft accessory. What do you say right. to that? For what, for what airsoft gun that they own? It's going to be a great interview at the ATF for sure. <laughs> yeah, th- this would be interesting. You know, the day you're expecting this package to be delivered to your doorstep, that's if any of them actually got shipped or were to get shipped. I don't really think they were, there was anything going to be shipped in the first place, but the, the ATF shows up at your door. 
Hello. <laughs> FedEx. <laughs> Your package has been delivered. <laughs> We'd like to talk to you. Anyway, that, I just thought that was a really interesting story. Uh, it's amazing that was even out there. Uh, but, I mean, I, I looked at the images of this thing, and it looks truly like, I mean, it looks like other auto sear conversions that I've seen out there. So, it looks like it would probably have worked if it was a legitimate sale. Okay, so there you go. That's a fun one. On to a less fun story. Uh, this was the Freeman High School incident, Spokane, Washington, last week. Uh, many of you probably heard, as you know, it made the rounds through the national media. That's for sure. And of course, from this, people are uh, talking about, well, we need more gun control. That's that's always one of the first things that comes out. But uh, first, the, the details of the story: Freeman High School. Uh, one student was shot dead. Uh, this student, I would call a hero. Uh, he confronted the shooter and he basically told him, you know, don't do this. And another thing too, that he said, and this was interesting. I didn't hear this until I read this story. Uh, but this, uh, student that confronted the shooter said, I always knew you were going to shoot up to school someday. And, you know, this coming on the heels of the last two Wednesday episodes we've released, episode 154 and 156, was, were, was a two-part interview that I did with Andy Brown, who was the author of Warnings Unheeded, Twin Tragedies at Fairchild Air Force Base. And if you listen to those episodes, which if you missed, you got to go back and listen to them because they're really good. But... His whole, you know, big premise of his book is there were warning signs and they went unheeded, hence the title. And it sounds like there was a lot of similar warning signs for this incident in Spokane. And they may or may not have gone fully unheeded, but obviously not enough action was taken. And this is always the challenge, right? Between the gun grabbers and the gun rights supporters. Somewhere, you know, in the middle, it's arbitrary to try and determine what what should or what shouldn't be done in the future in terms of jeopardizing someone's rights versus preventing, you know, a tragedy like this. But that that's perhaps neither here nor there for this conversation. But mm-hmm. um it, it this is a this is another you know tragic uh, episode and and I, you know the, the biggest thing I take I took from this one I thought was interesting is you know when when the cops sh- got there when they arrived on scene you know what they what they arrived to was not some active shooter running through hallways shooting people well what they arrived to find was a shooter who was being sat on by a couple of faculty members um, you know subduing him waiting waiting for the police to arrive right. and and here's why I bring this up. You know, after Columbine, this country went into like massive prep mode for school active shooter events. Um, we just really got good at training our our SWAT teams and our first responders on you know what to do. What do you do when you show up to that school? And 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 not to say any of that is in vain by any means, but we really don't see a lot of recurring incidents that take advantage of that training, because the vast majority of the time, by the time law enforcement gets there, it's already over one way or another. Um, they don't really get the opportunity to take advantage of all that wonderful training that they've received that often. Um, more often, that they're, they're too late. And that's just the nature of the beast. Yeah. Obviously, there were several uh, heroes this day, or from that day, uh, during this incident. Unfortunately, there was the one student that was killed. There were three others that were wounded. 
um, you know, our thoughts and prayers and hearts go out to those affected by this. And of course, many others that just psychologically uh, and emotionally are affected because uh, their students there, their, their kids go there, they, maybe they work there at that high school, or they just live in the area. And certainly anytime you have something like this, it, uh, uh, it, uh, it's not, it's not cool. Uh, we, we need to we need to put a stop to the to these sorts of things. I mean, that's evident. That's one thing that we we will always say. Uh, but the way we put a stop to incidents like this is not as obvious. As, you know, uh, it's it's not an obvious uh, answer. Um, we could talk about mental health. We could talk about a lot of things. Uh, we could talk about bullying. Bullying appears to have been a factor in this incident. Obviously, the anti-gunners would talk about the need to have more gun control. And, you know, there was the fact that this uh, student had pretty free access to guns. Uh, And, you know, that's a parental choice. And he's, what, 15 years old, I think he was. Mm -hmm. I know many parents that they're 15-year-olds. They allowed to have some access to firearms. And, you know, provided they've been pretty well trained and uh, they've practiced and they understand the rules and they're responsible about it. Um, And there are definitely those out there saying, you know, that that shouldn't have happened, that he shouldn't have had access like that. Well, you know, that's a that's a debate for another day. Uh, But the fact is, gun control may not have necessarily prevented this from happening. In fact, far from it. we we know based on many other shootings, similar shootings, that there's where there's a will, there's a way. And someone that wants to perpetrate a heinous act or crime like this is determined to find a method to do so. But my bigger concern is that people know or are or are aware of someone who might be capable of committing an act like this and perhaps don't don't speak up or they don't speak up forcefully enough or those that listen uh, authorities that might be able to do something about it do not act. And I know it's hard. You can't really act on things where there's no hard evidence, but I, you know, and I, once again, the answers are not that easy or not, they're not that clear, but we do know that there are warning signs and we've got to try to address those warning signs. And, and one thing is I, I wonder were the parents of this student, the shooter, did, did they say, see anything themselves? Chances are maybe not, you know, every child is their parents, baby, but, uh, I just, what do you think about all that? Jacob, as far as, is there anything more we can do to communicate uh, when warning signs are, you know, when things are noticed and to try to put into action something that perhaps prevents something from occurring. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think, that, I think that's uh, the unanswerable question is, is frankly, I, I do think that we continue to try and uh, regulate and use legislation to make up for a lack of American, you know, family structure. <laughs> Ultimately, you know, it's, it's the, the real issue has come down to the way kids are being raised and the way families exist. And if, if we really want to have an impact, we got to start at the core of the fabric of society. And that's, that's in the home, that's in the family. And, and I think that it's, it's sad that we constantly try and use 
legislation to make up for our own failures uh, as a society. And that's what I think, you know, comes from these kinds of things. And, you know, this is a case where this child stole guns from someone who legally obtained them. So I'm not aware of any proposal that currently exists that would have, had it been in place, prevented this tragedy. It was, you know, what happened was illegal and, you know, no changing of any law would have made it more illegal or have prevented it from happening. So, so there's just, uh, it, it, we, the thing, these things are tragic and they are going to probably continue to happen. I think we need to get more creative about how we respond to these things. I mean, there's a conversation here about uh, armed faculty members or armed security at schools. Um, there's also, I think, the bigger, you know, the bigger answer to the bigger question for me is, you know, work in the families. Like, we got to figure out how to support the family unit as a society in a bigger way. We got to get um, parents back in the household parenting. Yeah. And it's not just about uh, the the strength of families as far as like being aware of where your son or daughter is mentally and emotionally and uh, trying to stop things at home from, from occurring. Uh, we know that there's big, big time problems. Uh, I mean, Spokane, Washington, by the way, is uh, this is not the inner city of Chicago. You know, and 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 families, frankly, in Spokane are probably not as uh, broken as there as there are in in large cities a lot of times. Um, but I was thinking too that families in the community, I think as a whole, uh, there's been a lot of work to try to educate and uh, reduce the amount of bullying that takes place. Um, I see it in my own kids' school, and frankly. I don't see as much bullying uh, in my in my own children's school as what I saw and experienced well, when I was young. Frankly, I was bullied a fair you know number of times. I let it brush off me for the most part. Didn't get too upset. I mean, I just was kind of a fact of life. There were kids that didn't like you, and they picked on you, and that's the way it goes. Uh, but uh, um, I, I think we are doing a better job. Uh, in a, maybe not everywhere across the board, but. Um, but I agree. I mean, we're, we do see a lot of violence among youth, particularly in environments where families are, uh, you know, they're weakened. So anyway, this was a, a tragic uh, event. Uh, I did post another story. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on it. Just to, if you want further reading on this, I thought this was an interesting article on Breitbart uh, that asked the question, what do mass shooters have in common? And then it says, hint, it's not gun type or religion. Uh, and to give you the short answer, it has a lot of times to do with antisocial behavior. And you definitely see that in the book Warnings Unheeded by Andy Brown as you read about the perpetrator of that. And by the way, an interesting thing with, with that whole situation, the Fairchild Air Force Base shooting, that's basically in Spokane. Uh, I actually sent Andy a message uh, shortly after I heard about the uh, uh, Freeman High School incident and just said, hey, I heard that there was a, you know, an incident up there. I hope everything's okay. And he said that everything's okay. But, you know, it's it's it just was kind of coincidental that we talk about this. We talk about Fairchild Air Force Base and the shooting that happened there. Dean Melberg, the perpetrator of that crime, was very much antisocial and had a lot of other uh, mental uh, health issues. Uh, but we do see this. I mean, uh, what's his bucket? The Aurora, the Aurora theater shooting. Uh, Holmes. Yeah. James Holmes, very much antisocial. The kid that shot, uh, um, shot up, uh, the 
congresswoman in uh, Arizona. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm having a hard time thinking of names and places today. Uh, but, you know, a lot of antisocial tendencies. And I'm not saying that all antisocial individuals, uh, heck, I'm a little bit of an introvert. It might come as a surprise to some people. It might be a surprise to you, Jacob. Uh, I've really had to put, learn to push myself to, to, to get out there and get to know people more. Uh, but when I was younger, I was pretty quiet and reserved and, and somewhat antisocial uh, to a degree. Um, not to the, you know, like there's definitely different, uh, uh, there's a lot of different degrees across the spectrum, but uh, it, it, we do see this and it's a tendency. So anyway, be aware of that and go read up and study and read the book Warnings and Heated and other great books that are out there that talk about these issues. Let's get to the next story. The NRA fact checks the Washington Post. Love this one. Yeah. And so I'm going to let you take the lead on this, Jacob. Yeah, I read this and I just got angry, you know? Um, it's really unfortunate because anytime I see a fact check, I love fact checker articles. They just make my day. And Washington Post actually does a lot of fact checking uh, as well. Like I, I think they do a good job often of doing like fact checker articles. They do fact checking. Fact, fact checking? Fact yes. checking. <laughs> Say that five times fast. Fact checking. And, I'm not uh, a fan of the WAPO. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not a big fan either, but I do like when they do fact checker stuff. And they do. So I find it ironic that oftentimes you might go to Washington Post to read an article that's fact checking a political debate. But now here we are reading an article fact checking the Washington Post. And anyway, more to the point. Let's get to it. So we're talking about the SHARE Act. This is basically a you know Hearing Protection Act, you know, variety kind of legislation that's about removing um, suppressors from the NFA, right? Yeah. And uh, we have another update and the on the SHARE, Share Act. Act by the, yeah, the, yeah, we'll talk about that. But the SHARE Act actually covers quite a few things. If you actually look at and read the act, uh, it's pretty broad- reaching, but definitely a piece of that is to uh, reduce the regulation of suppressors to the same level as a standard firearm. So, you know, you got to be an adult to purchase. Uh, You go, you get a background check, you pay your money, you pick up, you know, the silencer right then and there, take it home with you, you know, simple background check does it. Yep. It's got some other stuff in there about like transport of firearms and it has some ammunition ban protection stuff. Anyway, okay. So here's the point. This is great stuff. So the we're talking about Washington Post here and there's several things here. So for example, uh, here we go. Automatic weapons. It is generally unlawful in every state to hunt with fully automatic firearms. Such weapons are highly restricted and very rare due to 1986 ban on their manufacturer importation. So the, the SHARE Act doesn't change this. Now, this is why this matters, because this is what the Washington Post said. Under the SHARE Act, hunters would, quote, load their automatic weapons with armor-piercing bullets, strap-on silencers, head off to picnic grounds on nearby, nearby public lakes, and start shooting, end quote. So, so the NRA is clarifying that the SHARE Act does not change the fact that fully automatic firearms are still very much so illegal and or highly restricted, depending on how you want to think of it. Uh, armor-piercing bullets. This is another one, because again, Washington Post says that everyone's going to load their automatic weapons with armor-piercing bullets. The current imper- inter... Ugh, the current... In- 
interpretation of the federal law on armor-piercing ammunition substantially limits the availability of certain non-toxic projectiles for hunting ammunition. The law, as originally passed by Congress in 1986, was never meant to apply to projectiles that were intended for use in a rifle or shotgun. The SHARE Act simply clarifies congressional intent and ensures that the law is not misinterpreted for by future administrations. So again, basically saying, you know, you're full of crap. Here's my favorite part. This is the one about how, you know, Washington Post says that shooters are going to head off to picnic grounds and nearby lakes and start shooting. Picnic grounds and public lakes. Laws restrict hunting and shooting to designated areas on public lands. You can't just go to any casual picnic ground and start shooting. So shame on you, Washington Post, for suggesting that I'm going to be you know, having a picnic with my son at the nearby you know, duck pond and someone's going to show up and have a good old time shooting pop cans. All right, here's another good one. Washington Post says, quote, The SHARE Act would allow people to bring assault guns and other weapons through jurisdictions where they are banned. Wow, that's bold. Here's the truth. Since 1986, federal law has allowed a person in lawful possession of any firearm to transport it from any place where they can lawfully have it to any place where they can lawfully have it. But authorities in anti-gun localities such as New York and New Jersey have ignored this federal law and arrested individuals who are lawfully traveling with firearms. The SHARE Act would put a stop to that. So again, basically saying, hey, Washington Post, you're morons. Because that law already exists and has, it's the Firearm Owner Protection Act 1986, we're just trying to enforce it because so many of these localities have ignored it. Here's another quote from Washington Post. Washington Post says, the SHARE Act would roll back decade-old regulations on the use of silencers. Truth? The SHARE Act would simply make it easier for law-abiding gun owners to protect their hearing with suppressors. A firearm suppressor reduces the noise of a firearm, which, while still loud, makes it no longer you know, causing instant hearing damage. And current federal law requires registration and a tax and up to a 12-month wait to acquire it. The SHARE Act simply would replace that 1934 system with the modern NICS system, which still requires a background check. It's just an instant background check and there's no tax. So, man, it, it, it keeps going. There's two more here, but I, I just, I get so fed up with this kind of crap. Yeah, so this is this is a lot of fun to see the NRA, I mean, just come right out, call them out, and respond to every false statement that uh, the Washington Post made. So, that's cool. I, I dig it. I, I am on board with that. Uh, I'm glad to see them put in their place. And speaking of which... You know, if you haven't already joined or if you're not already a member of the NRA, you should consider doing that. And if you go, I think we have a link for that somewhere on our website, don't we, Jacob? Yeah, you just go to our website slash NRA, I'm pretty sure. But here's the crazy thing, and I was talking to my wife about this over the weekend, and and the problem with this kind of thing is, who's going to read this fact checker, you know, fact checker article from the NRA? Virtually nobody who read the original Washington Post article. It's not like you and I read the Washington Post article and we're like, oh my gosh, the Share Act is so awful. And then we saw this NRA one and we're like, oh my gosh, Washington Post was lying. Like, no, like I didn't, I never even read the Washington Post piece, right? I'm only finding out about it because of the NRA's uh, article here about how they're, they're full of crap. Now, similarly, the opposite is also true. The vast majority, 99.999% of all the people who read the article, on the Washington Post will always just believe it's true. They'll never see this. And that's the unfortunate thing about the internet. So many wonderful things have come from the internet. But the unfortunate thing is that people can get away with spreading absolute untruths, lies, and and they can just get away with it. People just believe it. Is there anything we could do to help 
educate the masses better. Oh, I bet we're preaching to the choir as far as it goes. <laughs> well, I know we are, but you know, I, I just wonder if there aren't things that, I mean, I guess we could maybe share things more on social or um, try to strike up positive conversations with friends or family. Oh, I try to be careful about the family thing because <laughs> I hate to cause rifts in families, but uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe we could just do a better job of putting this out there. I don't know. Uh, speaking of the SHARE Act, so that is our next story here. Uh, the SHARE Act recently, last week, passed through committee, and that's really exciting to see because the SHARE Act, by the way, is the third version of legislation. I shouldn't say, say version necessarily. Uh, there, there's three separate bills that have been proposed regarding to the deregulation of silencers, which is their proper legal term. In case any of you just out there listening decide to call me out and say they're actually suppressors, uh, we can call them either, either or. But under law, silencers would be deregulated under one of these three proposed bills. The first one that hit the um, you know the Congress was the HPA, the Hearing Protection Act. Uh, the second one is the Shush Act, and that one was a little bit more. So HPA is a lot more similar to this most, most recent one, the Share Act. Than the Shush Act. The Shush one really went took it a, a, a lot further and really deregulated uh, suppressors substantially. I mean, almost to the point they're just like an accessory. Um, but HPA was more like okay, it's a background check, similar to pur- purchasing a firearm, uh, re- re- eliminating the uh, stamp tax and all that stuff. That's essentially what the Share Act is. But now they've rolled it into a larger, broader piece of legislation uh, that has a lot of other good things in it, I think. And this is what actually got through committee. And I'm I'm thrilled to hear this and to see this because HPA and Shush have been just been sitting there. And so finally, we're seeing some some motion. Getting through committee is a big step because now it can go before the full house for a vote. And if we can get a successful vote in the House, it can go to the Senate and hopefully end up on President Trump's desk for a signature. I think this is the closest we've gotten yet to actually getting this passed and getting silencers deregulated from the NFA. This is huge. You need to be on the phones and on your emails sending messages to your Congress people, especially in the House at this time, because this is now... We might actually see a vote on this. And by the way, who decides whether things come up for a vote or not? That would be Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan. At least he has a huge thing. He has a lot to do with that. So we need to be also reaching out and contacting his office and letting him know we want to see a vote on the SHARE Act. And I think if there's a vote, it's going to pass. The bigger fight will probably be in the Senate, where it's a lot closer in terms of you know Republicans versus Democrats and so forth. Uh, but I still think there's a chance we can get it through and we can get it to President Trump. And I think he will sign it. So this is a really critical time right now. And it'd be a good, good time for us as gun owners and supporters of this type of legislation to voice our opinions and support and let our Congress people know. Yep. Good. Well put. All right. Next up, we have a story from the NSSF. Uh, that's National Shooting Sports Foundation. And the he- headline is, Gun Rights Get Increased Public Support, New Survey Shows. 
This is by uh, Larry Keene. I've seen some other articles from him. He's, he's a good writer. He says, Lost in the storm of hurricane coverage, a recent Wall Street Journal NBC News poll demonstrates Americans' growing support for gun rights. The August survey of 1,200 adults nationwide covers a range of current issues, including gun control. And so when... When uh, respondents were asked about the relative importance of issues when it comes to time to vote, guns took the top slot. That's awesome. Yeah, and this, it's beating out things like gay rights, gender equality, religious issues, le- drugs, abortion, immigration, environmental questions. It's all about guns. Right. And we, we see it's a very polarizing topic on both sides of the aisle. Uh, but also, too, we see I mean, we got this John Brown, you know, gun rights group left, you know, like I know Jacob, you don't want me to get into too much politics here, but, but you know, they're, they're very much, um, they're on board with a lot of these other issues that typically gun owners aren't. Um, and they're a little bit extreme perhaps even, uh, from what I've seen. Uh, but they're on the left and we know we have a lot of people on the right that are very much pro gun and guns is taking the top slot as far as top issues when it comes time to vote. Uh, the survey doesn't show the split between those voting on gun rights versus gun control. It just this is just a measurement of how important of an issue it is, and so it's clear that it is a very important issue. Now, here's another interesting one. Uh, speaking of government regulation, subsequent questions make it clear that gun rights supporters are not only more likely to be voting on the issue, but are growing in number. When asked which of two statements were more concerning, a majority said the government will go too far in restricting the rights of citizens to own guns. Compared to the same question asked in 1995, Americans are far less concerned that the government will not do enough to regulate access to firearms. So when you look, and there's a little bar uh, graph here, and it shows that in 1995, uh, 50% thought that Actually, this is a little bit hard to interpret. Oh, here's the question. The government will go too far in restricting the rights of citizens to own guns. And in 95, 50% thought uh, that, or that was, <laughs> that's what's confusing about this. Yeah, it's about which, it's like, the the question is, which of these oh. statements is more concerning? There we go. So you have to pick the, the this one answer left, or that answer. The gray answer. one is 95, and the green one is August 2017. And so it's showing that the government will go too far in restricting the rights of, gun, of citizens to own guns. And in, and so in 95, 35% felt that way. And today, 50% feel the government may go too far in restricting the rights of citizens to own guns. So showing that there's an increase on, on that issue, that people are more concerned about the government restricting their rights. And then when you look at the government will not do enough to regulate access to firearms in 95, 1995, 58% felt like people or that the government would not do enough. And today, 45% feel that way. So we're winning the fight in this regard, as far as gun rights are concerned and public sentiment. Yeah. And that that's the point is that it's no longer cool to be pro-gun control. Yeah. So take that Brady campaign. And Michael Bloomberg. So here's another story. And so speaking of this increase, and that's why this story is is put where it's at, Jacob, following this uh, most recent uh, story, because we are seeing a wider swath of people get on board with pro-Second Amendment protections because they're concerned about their own personal and self-protection. And so... You know, in 2014, Chicago or Illinois, but particularly Chicago, I mean, people can actually get 
concealed carry permits there, whereas a few years ago, that was a much more difficult thing to attain. And now what we're seeing in Chicago is that more and more black women are taking their safety into their own hands, obtaining concealed carry gun permits. And I think this is really relevant because this is, this is the ultimate of like, you know, minorities, if you will. I mean, first of all, (laughs) well, minorities are special class, right? Because you got women and you got African-American women. And they are one of the fastest growing segments amongst gun owners and those obtaining concealed carry permits. And that is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cook County, which is, you know, primarily Chicago, uh, Illinois. And I think that just kind of goes to show with that most recent uh, survey from the NSSF showing this growth of people thinking that gun rights is an important issue and that more people now feel like it's possible that the government might restrict too far their gun rights. I think we're seeing that across all demographics and both on the left side and right side of the aisle, both on, you know, Democrats and Republican sides. And that's really cool to see. Yeah. Yeah. It's a change of the tides. And we, I think we, you know, like all things, you can expect this to ebb and flow depending on you know, what's happening and marketing. But uh, right now it's in our favor. Yes, it is indeed. And we need to keep that momentum going. And I think there's a lot of things that we need to be doing. I mean, the getting this SHARE Act passed uh, is is really key right now because right now the time is the time is right. I mean, we had that story last week. I think Matthew and I talked about uh, Speaker of the House Ryan uh, not feeling like that now was the time to push through s- certain gun rights you know, pieces. And it's like, what's wrong with that, with you thinking that? I mean, come on, man. I mean, <laughs> now is the time. Uh, we have a favorable uh, government to, to, to do this. And clearly that's in line with the way the people, the citizens feel. Now on to oathkeepers.org. They're reporting about a little known kind of a, a new gun control group called Ohio, Ohioans for Gun Safety. And they are sponsoring and, and, and supporting and backing and pushing forward legislation in the state of Ohio to end private gun sales. In other words, to establish universal background checks. Yeah. Yeah. I'll Ooh, let you take it. One of those, yeah, it's one of those soapbox issues for me. Now, the, the article is really focused on who are these people? Who is who are the Ohioans for gun safety? Who founded them? Where's their money coming from? You know, who's, who's really behind it? Frankly, you know, if you care, I suppose you can go read this because it doesn't really come to any legitimate, decent conclusion in my mind. But I frankly don't care who's behind it. Uh, I just care that the legislation is dumb. So we've seen that this is the low-hanging fruit right now, you know, for for the gun grabbers. We've, we're seeing a lot of states call fall victim to these universal background checks laws, which do nothing more than bring us one clo- one step closer to confiscation and, in my opinion, do not actually create any positive outcome whatsoever. And Ohio is next on the chopping block. Now, I think that the sentiments in, in Ohio right now are such that this can't make it through. I don't think that this can get passed. Uh, but... It sure is scary that this is still coming up, that we still see more and more states, uh, you know, coming around to this idea of universal background check laws. Most recently, Nevada, though that is a little bit under dispute right now in terms of its legality uh, and how it has to be operated. But this is a bad idea. Yeah. I know you said you don't care about who these people are behind this group. Uh, 
you know, it may not seem that important to us here in Colorado, obviously, or to many other listeners, but obviously to, to Ohioans, it is important. Um, and part of the reason I think they really dug deep on who these people are is desiring to know whether there's somebody that they really need to be, you know, that they, that they need to be concerned with or not. You know, are the, is this actually a, uh, a plant? Is this a, you know, behind the scenes effort by Michael Bloomberg and his organizations, you know, just trying to, to find another way to infiltrate into the state and get gun control legislation through? I, I think that's a valid concern. And, and more importantly, do these people have money behind them? Uh, it talks about how they've raised like $31,000 through uh, like house parties or something, you know, just kind of very grassroots like efforts to to grow this group and the support for the legislation that they're trying to get through. Uh, but through some digging, sounds like some of the uh, founders or those that are closely associated with Ohioans for Gun Safety uh, are also involved in some other organizations that uh, that do have quite a bit of money, millions and millions of dollars, which on a state level can make a big difference and can you know make for a tough fight on a lot of state issues. And so I think that is the point that they were trying to get at is, for Ohioans, is this a group that we need to be concerned with, uh, or or are they just you know really small and and in, inconsequential, and and thus we're not going to waste our time you know really fighting against them? And it sounds like it's possible that there's some money somewhere behind a lot of this, and and thus it's a little bit more of a concern. Okay, <laughs> I still I still don't think it matters who's behind it. I think it just simply matters if is it a threat? You know, like is, is this, well, are these guys, do they have the resources? So I, I think I, the way you described it was very valid. That, that's, that's my point is it, it, it is relevant whether they have any clout or not. And uh, I think it's possibly do. So, all right, here we go. Let's get now to our very first justified story for today. And folks, uh, if you're, if you're newer to the podcast, uh, each week we feature these justified stories, which are intended to be, uh, citizens that use lawful deadly force, uh, in defense of, of their home or family. Well, when we say home, <laughs> we talk about a lot about home invasions, and usually we're concerned about the, the protection of life. And uh, we see every week uh, there is no shortage of stories where folks do just that. They protect their families within their homes. They protect themselves out in the street. And sometimes it's at an auto parts store, which is this first story out of Dalton, Illinois, where a suspect was shot Wednesday night during a, an attempted armed robbery at, an, at a it was a Advance Auto Parts in Dalton, Illinois. And yeah, so you have a 20-year-old man with a gun. He walked into the Advanced Auto Parts store uh, around 8 p.m. and tried to rob the store. He ran out of the store and toward a customer who told police the suspect had a gun. The customer pulled out his own weapon and shot the suspect at least once. One of the front doors was shattered during the shooting, covering the ground with shards of glass. A handgun appeared to have fallen on the sidewalk. The 20-year-old suspect was transported to St. Bernard Hospital in critical condition where he later died. The customer, by the way, and it, it's not often we get these kinds of details and stories like this, and this was reported on ABC7Chicago.com, uh, but the police said the customer has, referring to the customer that that uh, fired the shots at the uh, robber, has a concealed carry permit. Shooting remains under investigation. Doesn't appear at this time that this uh, customer is going to face any charges. Seems to be, a, uh, at this level, a pretty clear-cut case of self-defense. Yeah, interesting that they would say, and, and that's not too crazy that we hear whether or not someone has a permit or not. Though, though, the, I think the the potential eel in that is that it creates the 
and does the potential for someone to interpret that to mean that it's the permit that gives the person the right to act the way they did. And the permit only probably gives the person permission to have the gun with them in that circumstance. Um, and, and that's it. That's all the permit really does is say you may or may not have it here in this in this method of, of carry. But anyway, beside that, um, you know, from the from the perspective of the armed citizen, all you have is I, I park my vehicle in a parking lot. I get out of my vehicle and someone is running toward me and they have a gun in their hand. That's it. That's all the information you have. You don't know if they were just next door doing an armed robbery. You don't know that their intent was just to get some cash and go feed the kids. All you know is that they're running towards you with a gun, and that's it. So with that limited amount of information, I would call this super justified. Uh, I, I would have done... I would have acted the same way, right? If someone was just running toward me and I saw a gun in their hands, like I would have acted. What if that was a cop? That's scary. <laughs> I got to ask the question, you know, I mean, because uh, you're right, it is a limited amount of information. And this is a situation, I mean, I mean, when we talk about the need to be prepared and to be on your A game all the time, uh, to be aware of your surroundings, I mean, th- this is what we're talking about. Because this is, this is a situation that develops very quickly. I mean, I, I've done a lot of work on my vehicles, especially in the past. I uh, kind of enjoy it to some degree. Uh, my last uh, outfit, put a lot of miles on it and it required a lot of work. <laughs> so I purchased something that's not quite as uh, critical for me to spend a lot of time working on. But I, I've gone to a lot of auto pop stores, you know, and you're not in, I am not usually inclined to be thinking I'm about to get robbed or threatened with a gun, you know, cause I'm so focused on my car's broken. I got to fix it. I'm going to get some parts. You know, like this is, this is why I like the story because this guy was, man, he was, he 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 saw something that within seconds had to make he had to make the right call on and i mean it could be argued that would this robber have just passed by him as he ran with his money or whatever it was he was able to get away with the store store with yeah it's possible but, but you have to look at it from from the perspective of you don't know what this guy's doing you just know he's running at you and you see a gun in his hand and this guy i mean bam within seconds makes that decision draws fires he accomplishes the mission I I like what you said about, hey, what if he was a cop, you know, because that does actually make my brain think harder. I love it when my brain has to think harder because it it asks myself, well, maybe, you know, would would I have had the opportunity or the time or the presence of mind to yell a verbal command uh, to, to move to cover? Um, you know, there's a lot of things that sometimes we don't think about when we hear these stories. We just think, well, draw and fire, right? But maybe there's opportunities to do other things that might minimize some of those risks too. Perhaps. That's one of the, those things that just, you, you never know what's going to happen when you're in a situation, but you should mentally prepare yourself, uh, do a lot, you know, a lot of mental prep, I think, playing out scenarios in your mind and how you might respond and and what kind of warning signs or cues you might be looking for that are going to, that, that's really what it comes down to. When you're in situations like this, you have to find those pieces of information that make a determination for you quickly in your mind, which way do I go with this? And to accomplish that, I mean, obviously experience is is really key, uh, but because most people aren't able to get a lot of experience with chasing bad guys, uh, you know, it, then it's it's a mental rehearsal sort of thing is the way I see it. And understanding the law very clearly, which, you know, one of our sponsors of today's episode is, is the Law of Self-Defense by Andrew Branca and all the services he provides at law of self, uh, law, the, lawofselfdefense.com. 
And so, but we'll get to that here in a little bit. Uh, I mentioned it because I'm some of you, I'm sure, listening, going, "Hey, that's a that's a great pitch you made there, Riley." Well, it really is, and it is really critical, I think, for people to understand the laws and what they mean and what they allow you to to do or not do. So it's great, great story. Let's get to our next great story. Uh, not so great for a young teen, unfortunately. This is on AJ, AJC.com. I've never been to this site before. It looks like a, a local news site of some sort. Uh, assuming this is a local news site for uh, uh, the Atlanta, Georgia the Atlanta, area, because this is the Atlanta Journal Constitution. Ah, so it's a newspaper. Gotcha. And so, yeah, this is DeKalb County, which is right there in the Atlanta area. Uh, and a man shot and killed one of two teenagers who tried to rob him Wednesday night as he ro- walked his dog, police said. Now, unless you think, I mean, we hear these things, it's like, oh, this dude shot a teenager. Surely that teen, you know, couldn't be a threat to a grown man. But here's the story a white Lexus pulled up next to this man. He's a 44-year-old man. White Lexus pulls out. Two jeans, two jeans, two teens jump out of the vehicle and attempt to rob the man at gunpoint. The man pulls out his own gun, shot one of the teens and called 911. Uh, this, the officers responded. So this happened around 10.30 p.m. and they found the teen in the road with a gunshot wound. He was taken to Grady Memorial Hospital where he later died. The second teen and the driver of the Lexus got away. Uh, officers have been searching for them, but have uh, not successfully found them yet. So it's a tragic you know, story, obviously. Uh, I hate to see we have kids that are willing to go out there and commit crimes like this. But the fact is, they, they confronted this man with a gun, and he felt the need and that he was justified to draw his own and, and shoot. And he won that battle. Yeah, it is unfortunate. Um, this is one of those interesting ones where I, I'm always profoundly shocked when criminals abandon their their buddies to bleed out. That that's always one of those things that I'm just like, dude, like if this is someone you really care about and you're just gonna let them bleed out, like you're gonna run off. But you know, I guess if someone's shooting at you. But anyway, aside from that, uh, we don't know all the little details here because there's a lot of things that I, made me think about when I read this story. One one of those things I was thinking about is, hey, if if I got guns on me, it's generally considered in our industry not to be a best practice to draw on a gun that's already drawn. In other words, you generally can't draw your gun and present it on target and fire faster than the adversary who already has the gun on you can just fire. Um, It's much faster to just pull a trigger than to draw and pull a trigger. So generally, we talk a lot about how we want to, you know, kind of win the fight we're in. We want to look for alternatives to having to draw our own gun and try and beat them to that to that punch. So that's one thing that I was thinking about here is I got two different teens. I don't know if both teens have guns or if just one of them has a gun and I'm looking for an opportunity to either get to my gun or to do something else to de-escalate this threat. And, you know, in this case, you know, teens are robbing, trying to rob the man. So maybe they're asking for cash. Maybe he's, you know, feigning going for a wallet instead comes back with a gun. We, I don't, you know, all these little things that we don't know. But that's something that I was thinking about is, you know, don't, don't inherently believe that you can draw your gun and fire it faster than another person can just pull a trigger, because uh, that that often can lead to a very bad place. Um, that that's one of the things that was on my mind. Yeah. Well, you know, and that's true. We, we, we talk, we talk about that quite often on the podcast about, uh, let's not perpetrate, you know, let's be careful about perpetrating this uh, idea that someone comes up to you with a gun and the proper response is to draw your own gun quickly and shoot them. Uh, because a lot of times that's going to get you in trouble. But 
we have also talked about, and you, you touched on it just now, that creating some sort of distraction, uh, looking for an opportunity to regain the element of surprise. Uh, those, there's a lot of tactics, a lot of things that one might do to, to be able to draw their gun and, and fire it. And in that case, if you can achieve that, uh, if you can, if you can take back the element of surprise, because obviously the guy that, that has approached you and has confronted you first with his gun, he, he's got that, that, uh, upper ground. Uh, but if you can regain that, you have a good chance that you might uh, come out of that uh, unscathed uh, because that element of surprise is really key. We see that often in a lot of these shootings. I often think of this uh, surveillance video from a convenience store. It's a number of years old, uh, but you got a guy standing there uh, at, at a gas, gas pump and some guys approach him and it's clear that they're they're trying to rob him or whatever, maybe steal his car as he's trying to gas it up. And he basically just looks for that right opportunity where they get distracted momentarily and he draws his gun. He, he blades himself carefully away, you know, meaning his right hip where his gun is. He blades that slowly away in a manner that they don't really notice that he's doing it uh, or they, you know, the, the, the motion is just not threatening enough or alert, alarming enough for them to, to think anything of it. And he finds that opportunity gun comes out and he just starts blazing away and you know they scatter like a bunch of like like a bunch of uh, scared cats, you know. So uh, that's this is a this is an interesting story because of you know what you brought into uh, the conversation, Jacob. But uh, let's get to our next one. This one's kind of a doozy. Yeah, they buried the lead on this one. And you were telling me in our pre-show prep that you're like, I got to go read that again, and I knew exactly which story you were talking about. <laughs> Because I did the same thing. There's several details in this story. I'm like, wait a minute, who's shooting who? Who is, you know, running into who? And so this is quite a story. You have uh, a homeowner. His name is Josh Burson, who happens to conveniently live on Burson Drive. Uh, and I don't know if that's coincidence or if he owns the street or what, but um, he does have some neighbors. We know that based on this story because that comes into play here momentarily. This happened around midday Monday, this last Monday, and he was basically away from home. He's at the grocery store. There's no one at his home home, uh, and one of his neighbors notices a couple of suspects trying to kick in this front door of his home while he's away. She calls the police. Okay, so police are now responding, uh, but uh, other neighbors are alerted to the fact that there's a couple of guys breaking into this home. And so after the break-in has occurred and items have been stolen, uh, the suspects are trying to make their way out of the home and away from the home or back to their getaway vehicle. And one of them runs into one neighbor. And this suspect has a 22 caliber pistol with a silencer on it. The armed ci- the citizen is armed and he fired a shot at the burglar, prompting him to drop his weapon. So there, that, that's the first thing. Okay, so you have one suspect with a 22 that's silenced. It's not often we see criminals co- committing crimes with silencers, by the way. And we, you know darn well, they most likely stole that. Right, Jacob? Fair assumption. Right? You know, it's not very likely they acquired that through legal means. Yeah, a 12-month background check, uh, tax. Yeah, it seems unlikely. Yeah. Now, I know some people would point to this story and be like, well, that's why we got to not deregulate silencers. But you know what? Silencers by themselves, are they don't do anything to anybody. It's the gun that is maybe more of a concern. But anyway, so 
you have one suspect that confronts one armed citizen and that citizen fires a shot at him, apparently misses, and that suspect drops the gun and then they're able to uh, basically order him not to, to leave or to move and, and, and he's arrested when police show up. Yeah, the other, yeah, I mean, the, this journalist should be fired, by the way. Uh, who, who wrote this? Yeah, Nick, you're, you're fired, bro. Like, way to bury the lead and make it confusing. So the... The, when the criminals split up, they decide to take different routes. The the twenty two caliber criminal, he, he gets confronted by the father's son who shoot at him and he drops it because he's too scared to shoot back. And then the other one uh, is found by a homeowner in tall grass or so, I think. Is that what it said? Tall grass? Yeah. It's, it's Imagine you're like looking out your back door in some bushes or maybe it's in your front yard and some tall grass and you're like, hey, there's someone out there. So you you grab the gun and you go out there and you're like, hey, you in my tall grass, like, <laughs> don't don't move, right? And, and that is the way it played out. And it, so you have two different neighbors uh, that well, really three because you had the father and son duo, uh, the son that had the the gun and fires a shot that misses. Uh, but you have two different sets of neighbors that capture essentially uh, either one of these suspects at gunpoint. That's, I mean, it's just, it's kind of a crazy story. There's just a lot going on here. And uh, a lot of folks that frankly get lucky, I mean, because these guys were armed. Uh, they found in the suspect's getaway vehicle, uh, besides all kinds of contraband, they also found another nine millimeter handgun with, with a silencer on it. Uh, so these guys, I don't know where they got all this stuff. Uh, it does say that the 22 caliber handgun that had the, the silencer on it was stolen uh, in a recent burglary uh, in in that area. So, uh, like I said, it you know it's likely these were not obtained legally. We know one of them for a fact was not. Uh, this is a problem. This is why we talk so often about the importance to store uh, your firearms responsibly. And it's not only about child safety. I mean, that's an important piece for those of you that do have kids or you have kids that are around from time to time, but it's also about storing responsibly your firearms to, to prevent them from ending up in the hands of guys like these. Yes. <laughs> I mean, in this case, neighborhood watch got it done, right? We have enough armed citizens in this neighborhood uh, and enough dumb criminals that uh, we got it done, you know? Right. Yeah. So, uh, because I didn't mention it, this was uh, reported in the ShreveportTimes.com uh, website. Uh, and that's in Louisiana, of course, uh, northern Louisiana. Drove through there uh, earlier this year, Jacob. That was, uh, I had a nice, oh, I can't remember the name of the place, but there is a, a fish, you know, seafood sort of joint just outside of Shreveport. I ate at it. was mm, delicious. Yep. The Times are part of the uh, Gannett. Uh, family, by the way, for those of you who don't know, Gannett, it's the news company that owns USA Today. Mm. They own some, a lot of news properties, mostly newspapers, but a handful of TV stations around the country. Right. And shame on you, Gannett, for employing this awful journalist. That, that's a hard story to read, that's for sure. All right, so next up, or our final justified story is uh, a home intruder killed after kicking down wrong door looking for his kids. Now, oh, that's a good one. This is, it was, I was thinking that headline is also kind of misleading because when I first read it, right, I'm thinking this is a father that has lost his kids and he's concerned and he's trying to find them. And he, he I guess, kicks down a, the wrong door and he gets himself killed. I'm thinking this is this is a good dude that maybe shouldn't have kicked in somebody's door. But actually, if we read into it a little bit, well, 
Well, here's a story. This not a very good dude. This happened in Indiana or Indianapolis, Indiana, uh, where a man shoots and kills an intruder during a home break-in that police say stemmed from a mistaken address. The incident happened shortly before midnight, knocking on a door in the middle of the night. Police say a man claimed to be looking for his kids and demanded to be let inside. It appears he was yelling to get into the residence because he believed his kids were in the house. It turns out the kids inside did not belong to him. Police say the suspect, identified as 34-year-old Percy Walker, kicked down the front door, breaking the deadbolt and storming inside. That's when he was shot and killed by a man in the apartment in front of two young kids, just two and four years of age. Sounds like that was a father protecting his little ones. Honestly, they thought someone was breaking into the residence. Seems reasonable. The individual got into the house after they told him he was at the wrong location. He was upset. So once again, at this point, you're still thinking this might you know, be a whole other father that he just was really worried that his kids are gone and somebody's taken them and they have them in his house or something, right? Well, it turns out, we find out that this man... It actually had a, a restraining order against him from a ex-spouse or partner uh, that uh, he was he had been already uh, he, he police reports had already they showed that he had already violated this pr- this protection order from the mother of his children that lives at the same apartment complex but just in a different building. So 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 he shows up to the apartment trying to. Uh, you know, go against a restraining order that he already has issued against him. He intends to knock down a door where his real kids are, where he's not supposed to be, uh, per the restraining order, picks the wrong building, uh, knocks down the door, and gets shot. Yeah, um, probably shouldn't have kicked down that door. And probably you know, shouldn't is- have been trying to uh, find his ex, his ex with his kids when there's a restraining order. Yeah, yeah, he he should have uh, you know done done what was right. I mean, it's funny because I, I any time now we talk about restraining orders, I I think back on Matthew's words, you know, when he was one of the police officer and what he had to say about restraining orders and and kind of the drama that surrounds those on both sides of it. And uh, you know, this is a case where you know, what if he had picked the right door? Um, I, I hate to say it, but we're I think we're kind of lucky. You know, if he had picked the correct door, if he'd been at the right building, knocking down. You know the right door. He could have, you know, hurt or killed a woman and kidnapped some children. Uh, so in this case, I think it, it, you know, we're we're very blessed and lucky that it turned out the way it did. And that that's hard to say, knowing that he's now dead. I feel a little bit bad, but it could have been a lot worse. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I mean, we've certainly shared plenty of those stories as well. Uh, so domestic violence is not cool, um, and uh, you know, family. Family conflicts is that's a tough one. You know, emotions run high. People do some stupid stuff. Unfortunately, in this case, this man did something stupid and they got himself killed. Um, but uh, you know, good for this homeowner. Like I said, I, I this was a father protecting his family, his little little kids, two and four years old, uh, and he did. I'm sure only what he felt like he had to do uh, to prevent um, a threat to his family. So that's what we're all about here at ConcealedCarry.com. The Concealed Carry podcast is we want to educate and train and empower more and more citizens to be able to defend themselves and their families uh, just like this, if necessary. So, but we hope it is never necessary, obviously. Uh, I know, I hope that doesn't happen to me or you or any one of our listeners, but it is our mission to inform and educate. So we hope that 
that, that we're successful in that. And uh, sharing these justified stories is part of that, but also talking about sponsors such as Andrew Brink is the law of self-defense is another piece of that. Concealedcarry.com and the Concealed Carry Podcast has joined forces with Andrew Branca to bring you the best legal education related to the law of self-defense. Trust me, if you if you ever have to draw or use your gun in self-defense, you are going to want to know how to minimize your vulnerability to prosecution and conviction by helping your defense team build the most compelling narrative of innocence. And that's about making the right decisions ahead of time and doing things in the right way and understanding the laws. And you're going to want to understand those laws. So check out Andrew Brank as the Law of Self-Defense. All of his resources are available through live import live in-person courses, online training, his best-selling book, The Law of Self-Defense, and now newly released video DVDs. Go check it out at concealedcarry.com forward slash L-O-S-D for Law of Self-Defense. So concealedcarry.com forward slash L-O-S-D. And if you're in the Colorado, Denver, Lakewood, uh, anywhere along the Front Range area, in November, November 11th and 12th, uh, we hope that you'll come join Andrew Branca and Jacob and I at a special Law of Self-Defense uh, uh, course, Level 1 and Level 2 course. Really great courses. You're going to want to check them out. You'll see those also listed uh, at concealedcarry.com forward slash L-O-S-D. Today's other sponsor is, speaking of earlier, I mentioned storing firearms responsibly. Well, Sports Afield makes some of the best safes and storage options to do that, to make that possible. After listening to these justified stories today on the podcast, not only storing responsibly, but have you ever considered how you would access your gun quickly in a home invasion while keeping your firearm stored properly? You know, once every 30 seconds in America, a home break-in occurs, just like these stories we shared today. So don't leave yourself unprepared and unable to access your defensive handgun in an instant. Check out the Sports Afield line of quick access handgun safes. They are perfect for the task. Also look at their line of full-size rifle safes that are also now available. They make shipping and delivery very easy. Trust this 100-year-old brand. Yes, the same company that has published the Sports Afield magazine since 1887 with your firearm storage and security needs. And also get a free one-year subscription to the magazine Sports Afield with purchase. See the full lineup at concealedcarry.com forward slash sports afield. S-P-O-R-T-S. A-F-I-E-L-D, concealedcarry.com forward slash sports of field. And just a uh, little primer that this Wednesday, the episode that we will be having, it will be a special interview. And that, unfortunately, Jacob, you won't be able to take part in because I, I guess you're going to become a Glock armorer tomorrow or something. When Yeah, uh, it's too bad I'm going to miss it. I'll be, I'm excited to listen to it. So tomorrow I'm interviewing James Yeager. And uh, that should be a doozy of an interview. Uh, It'll be a fun one. So I hope that you'll join us on Wednesday for my interview with James Yeager. And we'll catch you then. And so with that, this is Riley and Jacob from the Concealed Carry Podcast signing off. A reminder to train right, train often, and train safe. So you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care, everyone. reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.